The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. And so I have a simple message for you this evening. The title of it is simply Give Thanks. And if you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll be looking at three verses together tonight. And while you're turning there, I'll just set the table for what we're going to be talking about. And I'll start with the big picture. We're here tonight, in case you didn't know or in case you might have forgotten, we're here tonight to celebrate the fact that there is a God in heaven who is madly in love with us. Amen? Amen. In fact, he's so in love with you that he left heaven and all the glories of heaven. The Bible talks about how he set aside his glory and he came down and he assumed the posture of a servant and he lived as a man for 33 and a half years and he lived the perfectly righteous life that you and I could never live and then he went to the cross and died the death that you and I deserve in order that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. And in this glorious exchange, I give my sins to Jesus on the cross, and he gifts to me his righteousness. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And there's this beautiful exchange that happens, wherein I'm given a new heart. He takes my heart of stone, the Bible says, and he replaces it with a a soft heart, upon which he can then inscribe his will. That's right, God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And one of the surest signs or telltale signs that you have truly been born again is that you will have a desire, an inherent desire within you to know and to walk in God's will. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said this. He said, I know the plans that I have for you. That's kind of weird hearing that echo off the building back there. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And I just love that verse. I always have. I'm sure you do as well. And it's a verse that paints a picture for us of this big, bold, beautiful plan that God has. It's a specific plan that he has for each one of us. And our job as Christians is to discover and then walk in that will. And discovering that will is one of life's greatest adventures and most important quests. And the question I want to wrestle through with us briefly here this evening is, how do you do that? How do you unlock the will of God in your life? Now, having been a pastor for a long time now, that's one of the questions I probably feel more than any other. And it's this, how am I supposed to know what God's will is for my life? Now, when people ask me that, usually what they mean by that is, what is God's will for my life in this specific area? So does God want me to go to this school or does he want me to go to that school? Does he want me to pursue this career path or does he want me to pursue a career in this field over here? Does he want me to marry this person or does he want me to marry this person? And those are all big, important decisions and specific issues that God no doubt wants to give you insight into. And he wants to answer those things. But unfortunately, 
It puts me in a difficult position and you as well, because there's no chapter and verse that I can turn to in the Bible that says, go here or do that or pass on this opportunity or take that opportunity. Now, it'd be really nice if God's word looked like, worked like that, don't you think? I mean, how wonderful would it be if every time you needed to hear from the Lord, you could just shake that magic eight ball or you could play a little Bible roulette. Have you ever done this? And you just kind of close your eyes and flip through the pages and you read a verse, God, I really want you to speak to me and boom. Oh, great. Okay, so I'm supposed to enroll at UCSD or I'm supposed to say yes to this opportunity. But that can get us in trouble. You've maybe heard this story about a guy who was adopting that method in trying to discern the will of the Lord for his life. And he really needed to hear from God. And so he played Bible roulette and he strummed through the Bible pages and closed his eyes and pointed to a verse and then read out loud what he assumed to be God's will for his life. And it said, and Judas went and hung himself. He's like, certainly that couldn't have been the Lord. So he's like, let's try this again. So he closes his Bible, fans through the pages once more. And then he points again. And this time it says, and go and do likewise. Ouch. As that story clearly illustrates, such an approach can quickly get us into trouble. So we're back to that original question. How are we supposed to unlock what God's will is for our lives? And here's what I've found. And this is a tremendous key. All of us, no doubt, who are desiring to follow the Lord, who want to walk with the Lord, who want to, to know the Lord more deeply, we we want to know what his will is. And so how do we do it? Here's, here's what I've found in my own life. The best way to walk in God's specific will for my life is to start by obeying his general will. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, quite simply, as I mentioned a moment ago, God hasn't specifically laid out a step-by-step -step plan for every circumstance that I'm going to face in life. But what he has done is he has clearly spelled out for me and for you what his will is for our lives, generally speaking. He's told us plainly. He's given us his word. And here's the deal. The more we walk in the general will of God, the more familiar we'll become with the Lord and the more easily we will be able to identify and discern what his specific will is for our lives. So we need to really familiarize ourselves with God's general will for our lives because it truly does have an impact on our ability to discern and hear and walk in God's specific will. So that being the case, let's read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pick up with me there in verse 16. Here is God's simple three-part plan to always walking in God's will for your life. Ready for it? Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three parts. Very simply, God's will is that we rejoice, that we pray, and that we give thanks and that we do each of these things all the time. Here's what I love about that counsel. It's not complicated. It's not convoluted. It's straightforward and it's simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Somebody give me an amen on that. I, I think the word that troubles me, probably you as well, is the word always, right? I mean, if I have, I have no problem at all giving thanks or praying or rejoicing from time to time or when the mood strikes. 
but that's not what's being asked of us here. I mean, there are times when I feel like rejoicing, and then there are plenty of times when I don't. And that's what makes this section so difficult. Paul's not telling us to pray or to rejoice or to give thanks when it's convenient for us or when we feel like it. No, these aren't suggestions, they're commands. So how is it even possible? And the answer, the short answer to that question is, it really isn't. This is an impossible command, apart from the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, we have to start there, and I know it's obvious, but it's worth pointing out. The Holy Spirit is the only one that makes any of this even possible. Now, the other thing that Paul says in verse 16 that makes this possible is he's not asking or telling us to be happy about everything that happens to us. If you were telling us to do that, then again, this would be impossible. Because being happy is something that comes and goes. It's, it's an emotion that's here one moment and gone the next. And in that regard, joy and happiness are not the same thing. They're really different. You see, happiness is rooted in the, happen thing, the happenstances, the happenings of our lives. When things are good, we feel happy. When things turn, take a turn for the worse, our happiness fades. But joy is different because it's not just a feeling that we experience. It's a fruit of the abiding spirit of God in us. The fruit of the spirit is love and then joy. So it's a fruit of walking in connection with God through his spirit. And it is also a choice that we make. That's right. Every single day, you have the opportunity to choose joy. I have this friend, she serves with me on the worship team. Her name's Gina, and um, she has this really powerful story. She's been through a lot of difficult things, but she has this, this mantra that is like the theme of her life, and, and she was sharing it with our team recently, and how every day she chooses joy, and that is such a powerful choice that you can make as a believer. You see, you don't get to determine, you don't get to choose a lot of things that happen to you in this world. You don't get to choose who your parents are. You don't get to choose who you're born to or where you live or how much money you have or what kind of, where you land on the socioeconomic ladder in a lot of regards, where you start out in life, but you can choose joy no matter what your circumstances. There's a book by Kay Warren on this topic and she says it like this. If we're going to experience joy in this lifetime, there's only one possible way. We'll have to choose it. We'll have to choose it in spite of unbelievable circumstances. We'll have to choose it in the middle of a situation that seems too hard to bear. We'll have to choose it even if our worst nightmare comes true. This isn't what we want to hear. We keep trying to line up all the little ducks in a row to smooth out the rough spots and to shore up all the wobbly places, still convinced that if we get our act together, we finish the huge project, our health clears up, we get a raise, or we can just get things right, we can finally be joyful. But most of you have lived long enough to know that that's just not how it works. If you're waiting for everything to perfectly line up before you experience joy, you're going to be waiting a long time, my friend. You see, we can't always find joy in what is happening to us or around us, but we can always rejoice in what God is doing in us and through us because he's already promised us that he's working everything that happens in this world for our good and for his glory. Now, again, I want to point out this is easier said than done. Like, it's almost like we have this intrinsic 
negative bias that we have to fight against. We always tend to give more weight to the negative experiences than positive ones. Just as an example of this, imagine that I was standing up here and holding a, a big white sheet. Uh, and, and on this white sheet in the, the corner of it, there was a tiny little black ink blot. Where would our focus immediately go? We'd all be staring at the ink blot. And it just proves the point that we're all predisposed to focus on the negative. I mean, I could have 20 people tell me, man, that was a beautiful message. It really ministered to me. And one person could say, ah, I wasn't really feeling it. And which comment do you think would stick with me for the next week? See what I mean? We're all predisposed to dwell on what's negative. And, and that's why we have to work extra hard to pull ourselves in the other direction. We have to daily, purposefully, and deliberately choose to rejoice in the Lord, even when we can't rejoice about our circumstances. So that's step one in obeying and walking in God's will for your life. Choose joy. Now in verse 17, the second part of walking on, in God's will for our lives is, uh, uh, is revealed to us where he says, pray continually. And now obviously this is another command that would be impossible apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who initiates our prayers. It's the Spirit who energizes our prayers. And it's the Spirit who makes them effectual. It's the Spirit who takes our groans and our utterings and translates them into prayers before the Father. So the role of the Spirit is essential in this. But beyond that, I would also say that if we're serious about trying to live out this command to pray without ceasing, to pray continuously, then it's going to take a little reimagining on our part. We're going to have to reimagine what prayer looks like and perhaps even redefine what we mean by prayer. After all, you live a busy life. I lead a busy life. We've all got things to do. We've got lists to check off. We've got bills to pay and jobs to go to and kids to raise and food to put on the table and houses to clean and dogs to walk in, so on and so forth. Most of the time, we barely have enough time to shoot up a quick prayer of help, let alone spend an entire day in prayer. If Paul's command meant that we had to spend every waking moment of our lives with our heads bowed and our hands folded and our eyes closed, then certainly this would be an impossible command. But thankfully, praying without ceasing isn't something that's going to require that we quit our jobs and move to some monastery or go find a cave in the middle of nowhere so that we can dedicate every moment of our waking lives to prayer. The truth is, you don't have to have your eyes closed or your hands folded or even be on your knees in order for God to hear your prayers. See, praying without ceasing, it's more about the posture of the heart than it is about the posture of our bodies. To pray without ceasing is to be mindful of God's presence. It's to focus on the fact that God is with us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. It's about practicing the presence of God and including him in every aspect of your day in life. It's something that you can do while you walk. It's something that you can do, get this, while you're having a conversation with someone. While they're speaking to you, while your boss is speaking to you and he's giving you the details of this project that you feel like is over your head, you can just be praying, Lord, give me insight, give me wisdom, give me the response, give me the words to say. And it's amazing as you begin to cultivate this habit of praying even while you're conversing, 
It's incredible. God will begin to speak to you. He will download things supernaturally into your heart, into your mind. You will have scriptures flowing out of your mouth that you didn't even know you memorized. And you'll be like, where did that come from? And it's this beautiful ongoing conversation between you and God that translates into words of knowledge and words of healing and words of discernment and words of power that flow from you into other people's lives. And this is how you take something that on the surface looks like it would be religious drudgery, praying without ceasing, oh my gosh. And it turns it into this beautiful, natural, powerful thing. And it just becomes the posture of your life. Now, doesn't that sound good? Praying without ceasing, walking in daily communion with your heavenly Father. That's step two. Now, the third part to walking in the revealed will of God for our lives is found in verse 18, where he says, now give thanks in all circumstances. Again, this is a hard one, right? But we have to key in on one part of this verse. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say that we're to give thanks for everything that is going on in our lives. Because while we can't do that, you can't thank God for you know, losing your job, this, that, and the other, you can always thank him in every circumstance. Why? Again, simply it's because we know that he's with us. We know that he's for us. We know that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that when we die here, we're going to spend forever with him in heaven. Now, to illustrate what this last one looks like, I want to tell you a story from the life of Corrie ten Boom. Some of you are familiar with that name. And she and her sister, Betsy, were Dutch Christians. They helped harbor Jews who were hiding from the Nazis during the Second World War. And they were successful in helping many Jews escape. But after some time, the sisters were captured. And they were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. And in her wonderful book, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it, The Hiding Place, Corey writes about something that happened while she was there that helped her to see the power of a thankful attitude. She wrote that after arriving at Ravensbrück, her and her sister were led to their barracks. And they were shown these massive square platforms stacked three levels high. And they were placed so close together that, that people had to walk single file to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered across the platforms, which served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy, as they laid down, found that they couldn't even lift their heads without hitting the bunk above them. So while they were there struggling against the nausea that overcame them in waves because of the putrid smell of this rotting straw, Corey shot up and said, ow, something had bitten her on the leg. And she looked down. And there she had been bitten by a little flea. She's like, oh no, fleas. This place is swarming with them. Together, her and her sister Betsy climbed down and they found a small little patch of light and they began to see here, there, and everywhere. The place was literally crawling with fleas. Corey said to her sister, Betsy, how are we going to survive in such a place? And Betsy, who was a mature believer and woman of faith, simply said, show us, show us, Lord. She was praying. And here's what came next. After a few moments of silence, she said, Corey, he's already given us the answer. Before we asked, as he always does in the Bible this morning, what was it? What were we reading? Read it to me again. 
Corey looked around, checked to make sure that none of the guards were nearby. And then she drew from a pouch a a small Bible that she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was 1 Thessalonians, she said, finding the passage in the feeble light. Here it is. And she read the scripture that you and I read this evening. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy interrupted. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. Corey stared at her sister incredulously. Then she looked around at the dark, foul-smelling room. I mean, such as what? What are we supposed to give thanks for here? Such as being assigned here together, her sister said. Corey bit her lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands, Betsy went on. Corey looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, that means many more will hear. Betsy continued, and thank you, Lord, for the fleas and for the... Corey had heard enough. That was too much for her. She cut in on her sister. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy reminded her. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So together they stood between the stacks of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. Though on that occasion, Corey thought Betsy was crazy. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that she was forced to stay in the barracks with the other prisoners who were too sick to go out and work. And while Corey was in the fields working, doing manual labor, Betsy and the other sick prisoners were in the bunks and they had a a quota of socks that they had to knit together. Betsy was a lightning fast knitter and usually had her daily sock quota completed by noon. As a result, she was able to spend hours moving from bunk to bunk, sharing the word of God with the other sick prisoners. One evening when Corey arrived back at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. Well, yeah, you want to know why? You know how we've never understood why we had such freedom in the big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were? Well, I found out why. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about the sock sizes. So we asked the supervisor to come and clear up the confusion, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you want to know why? Betsy couldn't keep the triumph from her voice, as she said to her sister, uh, Corey. It's because of the fleas. That's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind, of course, raced back to that first hour in the barracks, and she remembered Betsy bowering her head and giving God thanks for those wretched creatures that they could see no use for at the time. How good is our God? He'll use everything. He uses anything, even fleas, to accomplish his purposes. And I'm here to suggest to you that in the same way, You might be looking back on 2020 and thinking, what on earth do I have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? 
I mean, it's like giving thanks for fleas, God. 2020, man, somebody showed me a meme. Actually, it was my son who's here, and he showed me this. It was, it was a candle, and the candle said the scent was uh, the, scent, the scent of 2020. I'm like, what was that candle smelling like? Somebody, I asked a couple of friends, one guy said, I think it would smell like the inside of your mask. Gross, right? Someone else said maybe hand sanitizer. I don't know. The point is 2020 has been a rough year. Not so much to be thankful for, or so it would seem. But we need to be reminded again and again and again that even in the worst circumstances, God is still on the throne. He has a plan, and he is working and moving and orchestrating all things to accomplish those plans and those purposes. They will come to pass. Now, that's true on a cosmic scale as it relates to the movement of history and geopolitics and everything else. But it's also true on a personal level. Everything that happens in your life is working itself together for your good. You might not be able to see that now. But ultimately, once you See it through the eyes of heaven. When you get to heaven, it's going to be like that beautiful tapestry that from the back looks so ugly and just bare threads kind of going this way and that. And then you flip it around and you see that it paints this gorgeous picture. And that's the story of your life and mine through the eyes of our heavenly father. So this is God's will. And as we walk in his general will, as we rejoice always, as we pray ceaselessly, as we give thanks in all things, we're walking in the will of God. And and, and a byproduct of that is we get to know the voice of the Father. Our hearts become aligned with his. We become attuned to his voice so that when he whispers in our ear, don't go that way, go this way. When he says, I want you to go pray for that person. When he says, I want you to take this opportunity, I'm opening up a door before you. When he says, I want you to go ask that question. When he says, I want you to go here, do this, do that. You'll you'll be able to move freely and quickly and without hesitation because you're familiar with the voice of your friend, your father. So walk in his revealed will and you'll hear and know his voice and thus be able to discern his specific will for your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.